As a founder, when the business is struggling, it can feel that that struggle is inextricably linked to your personal life, your personal safety, and you can suffer greatly as a result. On today's Startup Therapy podcast, we'll talk about how important it is to isolate feelings of startup peril from those of personal safety for your good and that of the business. Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast from Startups.com. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as ever by my partner and CEO, Will Schroeder. Will, we've talked before about how to gracefully shut down a startup, right? And that's at one end of a spectrum of, of starting up from, you know, everything's rosy on, on one end um, to we're out of business on the other. But as we get towards that end of the spectrum, right, and, and there's an entire spectrum within this, as we start to get to that, things aren't going as we hope they would, right? It's starting to tank or it is tanking. What is that like from a founder's perspective, right? As, as our personal safety starts to get involved in this, how does that feel? Well, I think part of what happens for us is wherever we are in the spectrum, right? And I think if it's we have a bad quarter, we lose an investor, you know, as we're doing fundraising, or again, all the way to the far end of the spectrum, like, hey, we're about to shut this thing down. Sure. When bad stuff starts to be on the horizon or it looks like it starts happening, we all go through the same progression. We all go through this feeling like where we start to doomsday scenario, everything that's going to happen. Uh, yep. And, <laughs> no, and it's and it's it's a really bad problem because most founders don't deal with this well. They don't they don't deal with the anxiety. They don't deal with the uh, the the forecasting, and they start to to think about their personal safety. And when that happens, they all of a sudden make it much much harder to navigate through the problem to begin. Sure, with. it'd be the equivalent of your captain of a of a ship. I'm not going to call it the Titanic because we know how that one did. <laughs> That's the far end of the spectrum. Your captain of the ship and your boat hits something and you immediately think, I'm screwed. I'm just going to jump overboard and call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, right. Turns out somebody in the, in the hole just tipped over a suitcase that you didn't actually hit anything. You just heard a bump and then you jump overboard, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think what happens is as founders – we don't develop this ability, and I think we should definitely talk about this today. We don't develop this ability to separate what's happening at the startup with what's going to happen to us personally. Oh, sure. And when we lose the ability to do that, we make really bad decisions right. because we make them out of yep. fear. And at a time where so we need to make the best possible decision. So, you know, you said this before, but there's this massive compounding effect as we're put in a situation where we now need to be making really good, really clear decisions based on objective data. And from a mindset perspective, we're just not there. Well, think about it this way. Think about if you're running a small startup, let's say it's a 10-person startup, but you had $10 million in the bank and the startup's going to fail, the $50,000 a year check that you're drawing from the startup is no longer going to come in, but you have $10 million in the bank. Think of how much differently you could react to challenges. Now, I'm not saying having the money would mean you wouldn't have any anxiety or you wouldn't care, but you wouldn't be first thinking about your personal safety. No. And then and then dialing that into your decision tree. At it's the, business, the difference between right? playing Contra with the three men you're supposed to have 
or using the cheat code and having 99. You play very differently. I love that cheat code, right? <laughs> I, I still <laughs> no, remember unfortunately, it. Unfortunately, <laughs> most of us don't have that in life, right? But I think, I think the challenge for us is that we inherently tether, here's what's going to happen on a go-forward basis with the startup, with here's what's going to happen to me personally. Sure. Let me give you an example, because I was actually just got off the phone a moment ago with a founder buddy of mine, uh, a friend that you know too as well, and obviously won't say who, who called up and said, I'm on the far end of the spectrum. Things look like this could be the end of days for for my startup. And the first thing I, I tried to explain to him, I said, you're going to be okay. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm not. Yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> going down with a ship. Dude, I've, but yeah, I've been working on this thing for six years. Everything I have is tied to this, right? Uh, all my personal savings. I took money from my parents on this one, right? Tough move, yeah. right? Uh, I've got tons of investors. I have dozens of investors. I've got employees. Nothing is going to be okay. I, I'm not going to be personally safe. This isn't one of those cases where I've got a bunch of cash in the bank yep. and, and I've got a, a parachute. And I said, look, man, I'm not talking, you're not going to have loss, okay? When I say you're going to be okay, I don't mean you're going to be well. Right. right? <laughs> I said, here's what I actually mean. You're going to shut this down. You're going to have hard conversations with three dozen people, the hardest with your family. It's just a, it's a tough conversation, right? Because you did lose the money. Right. However, when all that is said and done, you're going to get a job. You actually have good skills in the market. And in a short period of time, every two weeks, you're going to get a paycheck and your bills are going to get paid and you're going to get fed. And you're going to go back to living. Yep. Now you're going to you're going to wish yeah. <laughs> by the time you're done with your first tour of duty at the office uh -huh. that you could be your your own boss again, and you will be. But don't think that because of what's happening right now that you're not going to eat, that you're not personally safe. And that Ryan, that personal safe part is what I like to spend the most amount of time talking about because I think we really misunderstand what that means. No, we do. And, and I think, again, it's, it's part of just that losing perspective, right? Because everything else is spinning out of control. We just assume that personal life is going to go along with it. And, and as you said, the reality is it won't, right? I mean, you can only fall so far, it, it, you know, unless you're in, you know, a third world country uh, with zero support net. And even then I would argue you're probably still going to be fine you can really only fall so far, right? And and by the time you've you've gotten to the point where the startup is tanking, again, unless you're in that scenario where you've got 10 million in the bank, which is just not the likely scenario for most people, your ass isn't that far off the ground to begin with. You're not gonna fall that far, right? You've already come most of the way down, right? The plane has descended most of the way. Um, that last few feet feels like the worst part of it, but in reality, it, it just isn't. And you're not going to go to total loss, yes, startup will. The startup will cease to exist. You as the founder will cease to exist as the founder of the company, but not as an individual. You're still a human. You're, as you said, you're still going to eat, um, go find your job and, and you'll, you'll continue on. And, and so what you will, what, what do you think we can do? Like as, as we're, as we're thinking through this, cause you and I have both been through the same, <laughs> the same process a number of times, right? And, and, and all parts of the spectrum, right? We've had, we've had the bad quarter, right? We've, we've had the investors, you know, back out at the last second. We've had, you know, a partnership fall through all sorts of, of things that put you into this position where you feel completely destabilized. What are some good tools that we can hand, hand folks that, that we've used? And I've got, a, I've got a couple, but what are some tools we can give people to help 
regain that stability or at least regain the perspective to realize they're not as unstable as they thought. Sure. So let's play this out because we're not just talking about people on the far end of the spectrum where where things are going to shut yep. down. We're talking day in a life for most sure. of us, right? I mean, you know, it's a, this is a hell of a journey. Yep. It's hellacious the entire time. And I think for a lot of us, what we need to do is we need to figure out how to kind of contain or control that anxiety a bit, yeah. right? Because the moment that anxiety, and, and by way of that anxiety, it's our focus. Anxiety grips more focus than anything else. Yep. The moment that anxiety gets completely pointed and focused toward, oh my God, I can't eat. Oh my God, my family won't eat. Yeah. Oh my God, uh, everything's going to get crushed for me personally. Yep. It takes directly away from what we need to be doing, which is fixing actual problems. Yeah. So Ryan, to your point, as far as the tools go, I think the very first tool, the one I'd recommend, I'd love to hear yours, mine always is start by recognizing that if I don't attack this problem, the problem being the fact that I'm not calibrated properly, yep. I increase my chances of losing at whatever I'm about to do exponentially. Yeah. I look at it and I say, it's like this. We're in our F-16 and it gets hit and we start going into the tailspin. If we freak out and say, oh my God, I can't believe it, I'm going to die, then we're going to die. What we have to be able to do is we have to go through our progression and say, okay, first thing I need to do is keep my shit together yeah. long enough to actually do something about That's this exactly problem. exactly it. It's exactly it. I just went through a scenario like this yesterday, in fact. Uh, we were, this is a, a bit different, but we were training jujitsu. And I was in a very poor position against a much more skilled and larger opponent. And he had what's called a cross-collar choke on me. And it didn't feel good. And he was beginning to tighten this <laughs> you don't say. and it's, it's cutting off the, the circulation to my brain. Right. And I was desperately fighting to get one of my legs free. And then I start to hear our professor say, what are you doing? What are you doing? Said, I'm trying to get a leg free. Like I, I couldn't respond, but like he sort of knew what I was doing. And then I hear him say, don't you think you might want to focus on his hands? The part that's choking you. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Absolutely right. You, you got to start with like, what's the most critical issue? What's the thing that's going to stop you from moving forward? In this case, getting that leg free was not going to help me. Like I, I think it was more possible than getting, in the end, I didn't get my hands free or his hands free. I, I had to tap out. He choked me out. Not, not fun, but you know, I'm still here. I survived right to, to this <laughs> to personal full safety. circle, right? Personal safety. Here I am. Uh, so knowing when to tap out, but it is about recognizing what's the most critical element. So like if anxiety is just overwhelming, your depression is overwhelming, whatever it is that's going to stop you from even being able to take the right action, that has to become the priority. If for me, one of the first steps I always try to take when I realize I'm in that situation is to externalize it, get it in front of somebody else and get their feedback because getting a little bit of perspective always, always helps me, right? I, I find if I try to unwind my own anxiety, I just end up spooling it tighter and tighter and tighter, right? The minute I put it out in front of somebody else, tell them what I'm worried about, they give me some perspective, you know, and they, they help to unwind the, the anxiety piece of it, right? They may not answer the question of what I actually need to go do, but they remind me that it's probably not as bad as I think and that I'm probably getting in my own way. And they'll give me some, you know, some advice or some assistance on how to get out of my own way. And then I can come up with my own solutions, right? And I can go do the work. But until I get to that point, I'm, I'm stuck, right? I'm, I'm fighting with my feet when there's somebody's got their hands around my neck, right? Doesn't make any sense. But until somebody points that out to you, 
you can't always live up to that, right? And so for me, I think that one of the best tools is have that sounding board, have that person that you can go to. Um, and typically for me, it's somebody who's not involved in the situation, right? Because I think that becomes difficult too, because they're going to have a skewed perspective as well. So having that outside board of advisors or just a friend, somebody that you can go to who understands you well enough to know what's going to motivate you, what's going to help you out of that situation um, goes miles and miles and miles for me. You know, I, I use something similar and I developed this during my first startup when I really did think that my personal safety was in jeopardy. I was only a few years into the startup. I was essentially a college student. I had no money, but I also had no recourse. So if things didn't work, if we didn't keep bringing in income, I actually wasn't sure at the time how I was going to eat. Yeah, And I know that's, that sounds silly and almost antithetical to what we're talking about, yeah. but this is why I'm bringing it up. It was, my, it was my first go around with feeling this way. And at the time, I didn't have uh, any mentors. I didn't have anybody I could go to that could kind of coach me through this. I was on my own. And so what I did was I remember sitting down and opening up Microsoft Word version 1.0, <laughs> probably Windows 3.11, oh, to wow. give you an idea how, how far back we're Work talking. Groups. Yeah, on my, on my 386. And I remember saying, okay, at the very least, so that I can be prepared, let me write down everything that's about to happen to me. And so I, I, I wrote down uh, as, as sequentially as I could, okay, first thing that's going to happen is this client's going to cancel. Yep. Second that thing that's going to happen is that this bill is going to come due. Third thing that's going to happen is I've got about 60 days before the bill becomes uh, really due, yeah. like past due, right. uh, and I have to do something about it. Within that, here are the bills that are going to come due that I'm not going to be able to pay that have actual uh, ramification. Sure. One of them is my rent. Yep. Right. <laughs> if I can't pay my rent, I will get evicted yeah. within 30 days. Right. So I won't have a place to stay. And then I thought about it. I was like, well, if I didn't have a place to stay, is it absolutely the case there's nowhere I can sleep. You know, w will I be on the side of the road? And right. I, no, I can go to my girlfriend's house and yep. sleep there. Right. I mean, it, it, not ideal, probably not ideal for her either. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but I could stay there. Yep. And then I thought, okay, well, I won't have any money at all. I won't have any income. So how am I going to buy food? And then I thought, wait a minute, I can get a job. I mean, I'm right. so broke at this point. Yeah. I mean, at this point in my life, I can get a job anywhere. Yeah. And pay for food. Yes. So I'm going to have a place to live. Shitty situation, but I'll have a place to live. And I'm going to have food. I'll have a job I probably hate, but whatever. That's that's where it stops. Yeah. I actually wrote down line by line where things were going to fall apart and where it was going to specifically end. Yeah. Now, what that did for me was so powerful. And I think it actually changed my life at that moment. Because the moment I could see clear as day what the outcome was going to be to the extent that I could see it, what I took off the table was what I think we all do, which is create this amorphous demon, this amorphous outcome of peril that isn't based in anything that will or could or might manifest. It's just this dark cloud yeah, yeah. that we don't give definition to. Yep. And so by way of that, we can never overcome it because it never has definition. That's right. The moment, Ryan, the moment I gave it definition, the moment I said, "Okay, here's what it, here's specifically what happens. I'm going to sleep on my girlfriend's uh, at my girlfriend's house, and I'm going to have a shitty job. That's it. That's exactly what's going to happen." It wasn't ideal. That's actually it wasn't how I thought I was. Some people. <laughs> it probably <laughs> is, but but the moment I did that, 
every time I thought, okay, the client may cancel us, this may not work. Again, this was just a this was a downturn in the business. I thought, okay, what that means is I have to go work at Blockbuster. Blockbuster is still open back then, by wow. the way. And I have to sleep in my girlfriend's uh, at my girlfriend's house. That's it. That's exactly that's the cause and effect. The moment I took away the amorphous black cloud, it sort of didn't bother me as much because yeah, I knew it was going to be bad, but it wasn't perilous. Yep. No. By the time you illuminate it and you you get down to the reality of what practical things are actually going to happen, it's a hell of a lot less scary. It, it doesn't make it fun. It doesn't make it a sexy outcome. But it's not the same level of peril. You don't have to go into the depths of despair at that point, worrying about whether it's going to happen or not. Um, and I'd argue it becomes that much less likely that it actually happens once you fully address it and realize you don't need to be scared about that part of it. So you can stop worrying about that piece, right? Knowing that, yes, it will be okay. Because I think, and we, we've already talked about this, but that fear creates so much drag on you as a founder that you have to shed it. You have to get rid of that. I would argue that if you don't, right, if you don't go through that process of illuminating the downside, it will drag on you. And if it doesn't create the ruination of you and the startup, um, it will at least make it that much harder to succeed, right? So being able to shed that is really important. And I think honestly, it's the same outcome that I get from from my externalization, right? When I go and talk to somebody about it, you know, you wrote it down. Absolutely. I, I, I talk through it and I basically, instead of, you know, you know, pouring it out. I, they, somebody will ask me the question, like, well, what do you think, right? You think you're going to starve to death? Well, well, no, of course not. Okay. Well, then what are you worried about? Well, you know, I, you know, we're going to have to, you know, maybe we'd have to change house. It's like, well, you change house every three years. What are you worried about? I'm like, well, not really <laughs> anything, I guess. Right. So like, uh, yeah. So if you just get down to those, you know, when somebody else points it out to you again, it's like, Hey, focus on the hands around your neck and, and see how, how real of a problem that is and then continue to move forward. Right. But you have to, shed that fear first um, and feel secure in your personal safety before you can possibly do anything to help the startup. I had this happen again much much later in my career. Uh, I, was, I was running a startup and it was going horribly. And I remember about halfway into it, I realized, you know, I'm spending more time these days in the shower up at night uh, in the middle of the night thinking about how I'm going to fail and yeah. far less time thinking about what I'm going to do. Oh about, man. Yeah. Right. Uh, thinking about, uh, you know, uh, productive decisions. Yep. And so I remember drawing this little, uh, sketching this little pie chart and I just put it at 90% of my time in cycles right now are going toward anxiety, fear, creating and managing that black cloud. 10% going toward, uh, actually doing something about this problem. Good thing. All that anxiety staring be turned at, into cash at a local supermarket, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, right? <laughs> it's like, and I remember sitting there thinking, Jesus, 10% of my time right now is going toward fixing a problem that I'm putting 90% of my concern into. Yeah. And by the way, <laughs> this is so funny. This is so dumb. There's this great Guns N' Roses line um, from, from the Appetite for Destruction where uh -huh. uh, Axel Rose says, I don't worry about nothing because <laughs> yeah. worrying's a waste of my time. Yeah. And... I remember thinking about that, and I'm sure Axel probably wasn't doing a pie chart with his 10% versus 90% of the time. I think no. his, his point was, was a little bit different, but it was so spot on. For some reason, that kept repeating in my head because I kept thinking, it is a waste of my time. This 90% of time where I'm worried about this fake sense of safety 
is destroying my ability to actually go solve this problem. Yeah. Worrying is what happened when solutions aren't. When I sit down with other founders, just like the founder I told you I sat down with today, and I see the same progression happening, you know, where we start to put all of our time and focus and energy toward uh, worrying about whether we have safety, worrying about our anxiety stack, et cetera. In their real, we all go through them. You know, again, there's 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 no way around feeling that way. It's how you deal yeah, yeah. with it that matters. Yep. And again, we sat down and I started picking off one at a time because I'm actually forcing him to externalize it, just like you were talking about, Ryan. And we, I start saying one time, look, man, here's the here are the things that are here are the outcomes. You're not going to be able to get your investors their money back. This is a huge problem for you. To be honest, most of them don't give a shit. Yeah. Right. Most of them, you know, they already wrote the check. Yep. It's gone. It's gone. Right? They're not expecting <clears throat> to get it back. That's right. And so in their mind, uh, they've already passed it. So once we started to go bullet by bullet over all the things that he was worried about, all of a sudden he was like, yeah, you know what? Now that you put it that way, things are going to work out. Yep. You know, I mean, they might not work out the way I expected them to, but they're going to work out. And I think for startups specifically, because we go through so many of these moments, I think that, Ryan, I think that level of anxiety, that pie chart of anxiety, almost stays like baselined at 50%. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> Even in relatively yeah. good times. Yeah. Well, yeah, as within in relatively good times, you got to be worried that it's going to change, right? Like there's, there's exactly. always something. <laughs> and, and what I like to do, and I use a lot of video game analogies in these podcasts, but I like to kind of have like a save point uh, in my game, so to speak, my game being life, that says, look, if everything goes to hell, I'm at least not going to go any further, any lower than this point. Right. And I'm kind of okay with that. Yep. Um, as I got older in my life, it, it had to do with some savings, paying things off, you know, having the things that, that I needed in life in order to operate. And I always looked at those as a baseline. Yeah, and yeah. I said, so long as I, I can re I can get to my save point, my baseline, I'm willing to make some big decisions and have less uh, anxiety over them because I know I've got a fallback state. Oh yeah. I think there's an entire podcast just in the in the kind of life design, infrastructure design of life. Um, that allows you to get to that point where you, you can kind of build that personal safety net over time, um, not at the cost of doing other things, not the cost of doing a startup. This isn't, well, you know, save for 30 years. And then once you paid off your house and you've got the college funds already, then start your startup. Uh, but I think that there definitely are things that you can consider that would would drive towards a better safety net, right? And again, knowing that you've got a softer landing, right? It's still not going to be awesome. If the startup fails, if everything no. tanks, not going to be awesome. But again, if we can if we can create that feeling of personal safety, it goes a long way. And again, I would argue uh, to, to blue in the face that taking that fear away makes you that much more likely to succeed at the startup level. If, if you can't separate your personal safety from the startup itself, I feel like that leads to so many crap decisions along the way. Yeah. Right? Because let's face it, for most of the time that we're building our startups, we're building it on our heels. Yep. Right? We're getting knocked over time and time That's and time it. again. And so we're constantly in this place where we're worried about our downside. Because 
shit, man, it's all downside. <laughs> right. right? I mean, you know, <laughs> for years, it's just all downside. It's yeah. burning through our personal savings. It's burning through, oh my God, didn't think we were, we were going to get into our 401k, but that's gone now. Didn't think we'd ever touch our college, uh, kids' college fund. Probably shouldn't, but it happens, right? Right. We get into our, our, our HELOC. We get into all these different buckets of cash we never thought we'd get into if you're earlier in your career you're burning through credit cards you know you're maxed out in your credit cards not to mention your student loan debt right and you're thinking i'm on my heels at every possible level i think when we get so conditioned to feel like we're always on our heels that that we're always managing downside it's really hard to be aggressive right it's it's really hard for us you can't switch to to playing offense Exactly. And, and that's, that's brutal. It is. It is. I mean, it's like, you know, you use the on your heels analogy. I, I immediately think boxing, right? You're constantly backing up. You're constantly backpedaling. It's extremely hard to turn that into offense, right? And not just continue to get pummeled. Um, and so again, I think that like a big part of that is just regaining perspective. Right. And and not arbitrarily tying it all together either. I think in the same way that we want to be able to for our own feeling of personal safety, if the startup's tanking, we want to feel personally safe. I think that we also need to be able to separate things like student debt and, you know, personal debt, other things that have happened that are actually outside of the startup and not let those invade how we do that either. Right. I think the minute you start to allow negative confluence between life and startup, it's bad no matter what, right? And so to be able to have that level of perspective and isolate those things and say, hey, look, there's a lot going on, right? I'm on my heels with the startup. I'm on my heels personally. Um, But those two things aren't necessarily related, right? And so I shouldn't be afraid to be aggressive with the startup. I shouldn't be afraid to get back on offense. I shouldn't be afraid because if I am, we can all kind of, you know, predetermine that outcome, right? We know where that goes, if you can't do the things that you need to do um, because of some psychological hangup around, you know, how you feel about your personal life in the context of the startup, it's just not going to work, right? You're not going to have the power and the fortitude you need to move that thing forward. You know, there's another part to that, which, which I think a lot about, which is how much downside am I willing to accept? Sure. And so you mentioned about moving houses every three years. I think, you know, and I talked about having a, a personal save point, which I, I don't want to go lower than 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 what it is. Yep. Sometimes what's been helpful for me is to look at the downside and say, you know what, I'm actually willing to accept a little bit more downside. Now, that sounds odd. You know, we're, we're, you, you and I are further in our careers. The idea of going backward is particularly tricky for us because we have fewer of our best years to move forward. Again. That's right. However... And I give this a tremendous amount of thought. If if I had to go a few steps back from my save point, you know, a, a few tiers lower than what I would be comfortable with as as my lowest baseline, I also play that out. I model everything. Sure. You know. I also play that out, and I say, okay, uh, I've got a wife and two kids. If we go from living in our house to living in a, a, a rented home because you know, we need a little more space, but or, or if not an apartment. What would that look like? And here's what's interesting. We've actually done that. <laughs> when we lived in San yeah, Francisco, yeah. we lived in an apartment. Yep. Um, and we still we had our house in Columbus. But when we lived in San Francisco, like a lot of people, we lived in an apartment. Um, and it was a fraction of the size of our house. Not ideal, but we knew exactly what living in that space would be like. Yeah. 
right? So if if, if in a down uh, downturn, if we had to go a few save points lower than where we are, we know we'd be okay. Not the end of the world. It wouldn't. It not the end of the world. It wouldn't be ideal, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. And I remember talking to my wife Sarah about this, and I said, "Look, uh, this is what our life would look like if if shit really hit the fan, right? <laughs> if things really, really went sideways. We're gonna downsize. Now, we're gonna we're gonna leave one of the kids at the park, and we're gonna move <laughs> to another. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, no, but but I said uh, I said it wouldn't be ideal, and I'd be frustrated." But we'd be okay. And so then I think about everything. I think about every everything that, that we have as a family in life right now. If we had to take it down a couple notches, how bad would that be? Yeah. Not ideal. And I got to say, I've had some friends who have been through an entire an entire cycle where, where, where they were, were doing okay going into the startup. Things went well for a minute. And then it really, yeah. really went sideways. Yeah. And so... Um, if if on a scale of one to ten they were at a, a five or a six going into it, they came out of it uh, at, at a two or a three, sometimes a one or a two, which is a, a hell of a fall. Um, but you know what? When they actually went through it, when they actually lived it firsthand, they're like, yeah, it wasn't as bad as I thought it, wasn't it would that be. Bad. It's not great, yeah. right? Yeah. But the the actuality of it uh it wasn't that intense. And so what I've done is I've looked at okay. If things didn't go well, what's my my first kind of backstop save point? But then I've also gone further because I'm just ridiculous about this stuff. And I've said, okay, what about a notch below that? And what about a notch below that? Sure. Like if things were almost as bad as they could be, what would they look like? And doing that, it may sound like, like an awful lot of effort. Let me tell you what's an awful lot of effort. An awful lot of effort is spending all of your time not knowing what that looks like, yeah. but spending 10x more time worrying about it all the time. Yeah. Worrying about that if you make this this one decision within your business, this one bold move, that if it if it goes wrong, some amorphous weird thing will happen. So right. you don't have the ability to make that decision. That's yeah. what I fear. No, that, I that's, fear that's not knowing it. what will happen. Right. Fearing the unknown when when you're laying on your bed and you're you're afraid of the monster underneath it, but you're laying there with a flashlight in your hand, right? The the advice is shine the flashlight under the bed. It's not going to be nearly as bad as what you think. It's probably just your sister's cat. Yeah. You know, um, when we uh, when we bought Zirtual, which we've talked about in other podcasts, it was a, a very large acquisition that we did. Um, we put a lot of money, our, our own money, uh, up to yeah. uh, uh, to <laughs> up to the table, in order to make that happen. All um, of our sleep. And what's that? I said in all of our sleep. Yeah, no, well, yeah, and we and and um, you know, we made that decision on very little sleep, uh, <laughs> if I seem to recall. Um, but my point is, the reason we could make a cowboy move like that and others that we've made is because we know exactly what our downside looks like. Yep. So this isn't, Ryan, this isn't just about, hey, how do I deal with, with, with life in the startup when things are going poorly? This is also, how do I know that I can make calculated, bold bets yep. even when things are going well? Because I know I know what my downside yeah. looks like. I just kept I kept thinking ROI, ROI, ROI over and over as you were talking about going, you know, back using your analogy, going back another save point, back another save point, down another level. Um, you're making that decision with the anticipation that there's a return on that investment, right? That's not just a concession saying like, well, I'll just accept this new state in life. No, it's a step backwards that you can take one forward. Um, but again, I think that there's there's a precursor to that willingness that is having the right perspective, right? And that goes back to, you know, you plotting it out, me talking it out, 
and understanding what the reality of that is, right? Because you, you can't make that decision. You can't you can't make the ROI calculation unless you know what you're putting at risk, right? And then once you do know that, you can have a whole hell of a lot more comfort in making that choice. You know, this is a risk-based business. This is a, a business where we we gamble. Yeah. And people are gonna are gonna want to say, no, I don't gamble. I make calculated bets. No, you're sure gambling. you do. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't predict the future, right? Yeah. Um when when I gamble, uh, Sarah and I uh, were actually taking a, a trip to Las Vegas uh, last week, in fact. That's right. When we gamble, we always do the same thing. We're lame. We play blackjack. We really enjoy it. Uh, let me say that differently. When we gamble, winning doesn't bring us that much pleasure, but we friggin' hate losing. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, right. How but, to manage so blackjack downside by Will Schroeder. Oh, well, I, that's, I, this is actually what I was going to explain. because This is, I'm going to use the blackjack analogy, but I'm going to point directly at why we make similar decisions. When Sarah and I sit at the table, we split our, our chips and we count how many chips we started with. As soon as we're up a little bit, and for some reason, we always seem to start up in blackjack, which is, I guess, great. The first thing Sarah does, I should give her the credit, is she picks up all the chips that we put initially, and she puts them in her purse. Uh Invariably, as the night progresses and we're getting up or down, I totally forget, because I've had 20 vodka gimlets coming through (laughs) during this entire time, how many chips I started with. And But she knows the entire time, the reason she's so comfortable is because she knows we're just playing with house money. Right. We make a calculated decision going in as to what we're willing to gamble and what we're not willing to gamble because we know what our downside is. Right. Our downside at this point is nothing because we're playing with house money. Even still, the amount of money we put on the table to gamble with to begin with, we only put the amount of money we're willing to lose. Yeah. Calculated bet. In in all of these different scenarios, we're able to get more aggressive about our bets because we've already established what we're willing to lose. And we've already, in, in all fairness, Ryan, this is what I was saying, we've already established a couple levels below that as well. Sure. I rarely, rarely hear startups talk about this, founders talk about this. I rarely hear them say, here's what I'm willing to lose. Yeah. You know what's funny? at the end of the day, I feel like they, I feel like they're not sure that they can actually define that. I'm just thinking through a lot of the conversations I've had that pointed this direction with people and... I believe that there's just this fundamental misunderstanding that some of the downside truly can be managed. You can decide where it stops. And I think it That's I think it's, point. I think it's rooted in the fact that you're in a situation where things that you thought you had control over, your startup, are now going out of control. And so I, I think that you lose perspective on exactly where that stops, right? There, you know, it can't come and take away your birthday. Right. That's not that's not a thing it can do. Right. There there are some hard limits around where the spiraling out of control will end. Um, and particularly if you're you know, if you're aware of what those are and you, and you kind of plan and manage to that. Um, but I, I think that's where it starts. Right? I think it starts with a, a fundamental misunderstanding that I do have some hard limits on. You, know, you can't stop the, the, the company from failing necessarily. Right. But you can limit the impact that it has on your personal life. Uh, if you choose to, right, and you manage towards that. But I think it starts with that fundamental misunderstanding that there are some limits to where that spiral ends. Yeah, and there's going to be folks that are going to say, look, I don't think what you're saying pertains to me, and here's why. I've put up a lot of my own personal money. I have, I have every bit of my personal wealth 
tied into this business. So when you yep. tell me that I can just walk away, I can get another job, I can limit my downside. No, I can't. If, if, if I walk away right now, all of that debt comes with me. I'm the owner of the business, etc. I would agree that that's entirely true. That's also part of my calculation. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of my cash has gone in, into the business. Yep. Um, but I look at that as money spent and I look at that as uh, upside lost. Yeah. But I don't look at that as anything that can get worse if I don't let it. Right. Right. That that's already spent, as you said. I mean, like the the time to make that decision, the time to manage that downside was when you decided to put it in, not later. Yes. Right. Well, it, it, and even still, um, at which point you've put all the money in, you know, you've you basically got all of your net worth tied into this business, which let's face it, is is pretty commonplace. Yep. The business can still fail. I can still go find other ways to make income. I can rearrange my debt. I can BK if I have to. There's a lot of ways for me to then manage that downside in different ways. Uh, a friend of mine told me this, and, and this is really horrible advice, but it was interesting at the time. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> I'm probably 21 years old, um, starting my first business, and I'm a little over $100,000 in personal debt. And, yep. I, and I've said this before, real debt like credit cards, personal loans from banks, the, the kinds of things that you can't easily unwind. The only way you can unwind is, <laughs> is, is with, a, with a bankruptcy. I'm, I'm picturing and, calling American Express and, and, and just trying to talk to them like an investor. Like, look, you know, I understand that you had high hopes for this business when you began to invest in me. <laughs> um, but uh, the reality is we're going to shudder. Like, wait, we, we, we didn't in, invest in you. We gave you a credit card. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, yeah, sure. Yeah. Very different discussion. It, and so I'm on the phone with a friend of mine and, and he's a business owner and he said to me something that always stuck with me. And again, this is, this is horrible advice. He said, "Will the moment that uh, you owe the bank a little bit money, a bit of money that you can pay back, they're in control. The moment you owe them so much money that you can't pay it back, you're in control. <laughs> that's, that's actually and, you true. Know, you know right? who also said that? Sadly, is uh, one Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. Just remember, he went through essentially a BK style process. He was about $900 million uh, upside down, I think, in the, in the early 90s. And he it said something uh, the same way. What's that? He said it was a big number. Yeah, it was a huge number. And, and he, said, he said kind of the same thing. By the way, I'm by no means trying to talk about how you get out of your debt, etc. What I am saying is that there are leverage points when you're up, when you're that upside down because I'm talking to the folks that are that have everything in the business they have all their savings they have all their debt etc. Yep. At which point it goes so overloaded you are in the driver's seat on how you're going to negotiate that debt because only you have the the, the opportunity to figure out how that's going to be structured for a payback. Not yeah. ideal. What I'm saying no. is you I don't want to manage through these to thought that. processes. <laughs> yes, yes, it's it's, it's a last last last, last resort. Yeah. What I'm trying to point out is. In all of these situations, at all of these downside scenarios, it's your decision as to how you're going to navigate through them. And if you don't proactively figure out what the downside scenario is, what all the different outcomes may be, and how you'll manage those so you can stop thinking about that, you can right. get that 90% of anxiety off the table and focus on the 10% that you're supposed to be focused on, which is how to get this business on the right side so you don't have to think about the downside that's where your head is supposed to be at. Yep, that's, that's exactly it, right? When, when you, you plot that out and you go through the modeling, you essentially end up with some if this, then that type scenarios, right? And so you don't have to make the decision 
in the moment when you're least likely to be in the right frame of mind to make it. You've already thought through these things. You've already set some, you know, some downside triggers in place. Um, and, and I think that even just that exercise, again, like I, I'm all about trying to create that, that mental and emotional freedom for the founders, for ourselves, such that we don't get trapped by these things in the first place. Because the minute you start, that pie chart shifts to 90% worry, 10% action, that accelerates out of control really, really fast. You are now a, a tractor trailer on a downhill without brakes and, and none of those escape ramps, right? It's a bad, bad situation. Yeah, it's terrible. But look, as startup founders, it's our job to separate our downside provisions from whatever problem we're trying to solve right now. And everybody is relying on us to take that step. Our investors are relying on us. Our employees are relying on us. Our customers are relying on us. It is our job as founders to be able to build that force field of downside, set that, forget about it, and focus on the job at hand. And frankly, that's probably what's going to bring our startup from the brink to begin with. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer, from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com begin. That's startups.com B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later.